What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by DirecTV Stream. I'm your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step, though. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. But if you are watching on YouTube, excuse me, hit that subscribe button because it really helps people discover the show. Okay, today we have to talk about Michigan State taking out the walker and beating Michigan to death with it. Oklahoma pointing the finger at the CFP committee and Georgia turning the Florida Gators upside down and emptying their pockets. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. So first and foremost, happy Halloween and happy birthday to Nick Saban, who stays striking fear into all of us. And as you can see, I am not going to waste my shot. Number five, Ohio State defeated. Number 20, Penn State, 33 to 24, literally like, you know, 20 minutes ago at the shoe. Penn State was the first team Ohio State has played with a winning record since losing to Oregon. It's the first team it has beaten with a winning record since its season opener against Minnesota. And it's the first ranked opponent the Buckeyes have beaten all season, which is great news for Buckeyes fans because you're going to move up in my rankings. Jerron Cage turned out to make all the difference in the first half with a scoop and score. In a game, the Buckeyes led 17-10 at half. Penn State outgained that Ohio State juggernaut offense, though 209 to 189 yards. Each had just 19 rush yards apiece in the first half. And the difference was Penn State's two, two turnovers to Ohio State's one. Now, Travion Henderson walked into the game averaging 8.8 .8 yards per carry. Through the first seven, and look, uh, uh, he looked really good through those first seven, but he was held to just six yards on nine carries against Penn State in the first half. Means that wideout Garrett Wilson outgained Henderson with one carry for seven yards in the first half. Sean Clifford also outplayed C.J. Stroud in the first half with 17 of his 24 passes going for 190 yards with you know, C.J. Stroud only having 15 of 24 for 170. Both of them had a TD apiece. Penn State tied the game up on a Jahan Dotson score for six in the third, giving them 10 straight points and making the score 17 up. That's as close as it would be. The Buckeyes responded with 10 unanswered. Henderson proved he's like Novocaine. Give him time, and he always works. He broke off one for 68 yards, and all of a sudden he had 91 yards for 17 carries after that. He finished with 152 on 28. The Penn State offense answered, you know, to cut the lead to 27-24, and the Buckeyes answered again with another field goal to stretch their lead to a TD's difference. Both Stroud and Clifford ended up passing for over 300 yards in this game. But the question that I have is, are the Buckeyes one of the four best teams in football after this win against number 20 Penn State? And the answer is, hell no! You cannot be one of the four best teams in college football when we have four undefeated Power 5 teams and we have more than four. I'm going to unpack this as we go. But I do not want to hear anybody tell me Ohio State looks good because the scoreboard said Oregon beat Ohio State at the shoe 35-28. 
head-to-head matters in the CFP protocol. Winning the games has to matter. Or have we been beaten on the same thing for an entire nine-week stretch? Number eight, Michigan State defeated number six, Michigan, 37-33 to in East Lansing. All right. Kenneth Walker III is going to the Heisman Ceremony in New York after this signature win against a previously undefeated Michigan to return, you know, the, or to not return, to retain, you know, the Paul Bunyan Trophy. Michigan put up 333 yards in the first half, and as lopsided as the game seemed with a score at 23-14 at half to Michigan, it started out even worse for the Spartans. There were three explosive plays in the first half. That is, plays of 25 yards or more. All of them were either TDs or set up a TD. The first of those plays came while Michigan State had Michigan pinned inside its own 10-yard line. Then, on third down, Cade McNamara threw a pass in rhythm to Andrell Anthony, who took it 93 yards to the house. The true freshman had six catches for 155 yards with two TDs in his return to East Lansing, where he played his high school ball. That's one hell of a homecoming out, a homecoming and a coming out party for him. McNamara had over 200 passing yards in what Jim Harbaugh called the best half of his career, and I think perhaps this is the best game K. McNamara's ever played, and that's what MSU was willing to allow, quite honestly. Cade McNamara having a career day. So much of football is making a decision about what you're willing to allow. Mel Tucker and his defense coordinator, Scotty Hazleton, decided they were going to sell out against the run and force McNamara and that passing game to beat them. And with the win, Tucker became the first Michigan State head coach to begin his career 2-0 against Michigan in school history. That is a feat not even Nick Saban accomplished when he was head coach at Michigan State. But as good as McNamara played, I couldn't help but notice how badly Peyton Thornton played too. McNamara didn't turn the ball over until there was a minute left in the game, and Michigan was desperate. Thorne, though, threw a pick on the one-yard line in the opening series, threw another off a tip pass by Tulsa's own Dax Hill coming on a blitz, and he took a sack that looked like a strip sack recovered for a TD to me, ended up just being a sack. He turned the ball over twice and took a sack on the goal line. Those turnovers led to 10 Michigan points in what was once a nine-point ball game. Before McNamara and J.J. McCarthy turned back-to-back QB runs into six points, McNamara went over 280 pass yards when Michigan went up 30-14 to in the third and finished with 383 passing yards in the game. Meanwhile, the firm of Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum was mostly held in check with 27 carries for a 114 yards, totally outshined by one man at Michigan State, and you know who he is. The Heisman candidate rushed for 87 yards on 12 attempts with two TDs in the first, averaging 7.3 yards per rush in the first half. It was a harbinger of things to come. But after a Michigan State TD and two-point conversion made it a one-score game, Walker smoked the Michigan defense for a 58-yard score. With a second straight two-point conversion, it was 30 up. With 12 and change left to play, and then 
with his 20th rush of the day. K-9 gave Michigan State its first lead of the game with 508 left to play. It was a 23-yard marauding run for his fifth TD of the game after beginning the game with just nine all season. K-9 went over 1,000 rush yards this season and is the first to get there at Michigan State since 2014, right? Means that he's also the fastest guy to get to 1,000 rush yards in school history. And he's also the first one to rush for 1,000 yards in his first eight games of the season since Javon Ringer did it in 2008. He finished the game with 197 rush yards on 23 rushes. That is 8.6 yards per carry and those five TDs. Means he rushed for more yards than Thorne passed for, who had 196. Walker has 1,194 yards in eight games. Kenneth Walker III is going to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. The only question left now is will he win it? But that's not what I think is the most impressive and or important question following Michigan State's win against Michigan. That question is, after Jim Harbaugh has fallen to 2-9 and nine against AP-ranked opponents, What's he have to do this season for this season to still feel successful? Because we're sitting at 7-1 with Michigan. And this was their first opportunity to beat a ranked opponent. They came up short. Yes, you have the game left after the game was canceled last year. And if Jim Harbaugh can somehow beat an Ohio State team he has never beaten as a head coach, Yes, I believe Michigan fans will be happy with that and go bowling and miss the Big Ten championship game again and everything will be fine. But if he wins every other game but loses to Ohio State, yes, Michigan fans are once again going to be beside themselves and we're going to come back with that 2-9 and nine stat and ask, what has Jim Harbaugh actually done that would lead us to believe He's one of the great college football coaches, and it feels like it's going to take a great college football coach to win a Big Ten championship at Michigan, let alone beat Ohio State. All right, quickly, Wisconsin stomped on number nine, Iowa, 27-7 at Camp Randall. Wisconsin's defense sacked Spencer Petras five times, held him to 9 of 19 for 93 yards passing, held running back Tyler Goodson to 27 rushing yards on 13 carries and forced three turnovers. In a season that felt lost a month ago in Madison, Wisconsin got its first ranked win of the season and improved to 5-3 and three overall and 3-2 and two in conference play. After dropping its second straight game, both coming against Big Ten West opponents, Iowa is playing like it's been eating all that corn and had to go behind a mama's house only to get caught squatting by Ezel, who ain't going to tell nobody else. Those of y'all that get that joke, you're the real ones. I love you the most. That Iowa loss means Minnesota took the lead in the West Division with a 41-14 win against Northwestern and a 4-1 record in conference play. Not bad for a Gophers team that lost its top two tailbacks and put money in the bag against Bowling Green earlier this year. And one more note on the Badgers' victory. The win against number 9 Iowa was Wisconsin's first top 10 win since beating number 9 Minnesota 
on November 30th, 2019. I love this goofy sport. It's ridiculous. Now, as for the Big Ten, is the Big Ten really just the Big Ten East? But is the Big Ten going to cannibalize itself so that it doesn't get a team in the college football playoff? And it's on the table, right? The way that I couch this is, none of us actually believe with our two eyes that Penn State is a great football team. They have a good, two great defense, depending on who they're playing and how they're playing. But you don't expect that offense to go and beat up on anybody, and they went and beat up on Ohio State's defense, okay? We also have to look at this from the standpoint of who does Ohio State have left to play, and they've got Michigan State and Michigan to end the season. Both of those teams are good football teams. Not to say that we think Ohio State will lose to them, but I didn't think Ohio State would lose to Oregon, and that's why we play football games, quite honestly. Now, what I think is more important here is, is Michigan State good enough at the outset on Tuesday to be ranked ahead of Ohio State? Yes, it's the answer to that question, and I think it's unequivocally obvious based on resume and record so far. But the CFP committee is going to tip its hand and how it feels about Ohio State, which has an enormous fan base and has been playing great football of the, of the past. But I want to talk about how we think about teams of the past and how that factors in and whether or not football games actually matter because I really think that the winner of the Big Ten East Division ought to play in the college football playoff if they got a case. But as you're going to see, there's still one team that doesn't care what the Big Ten East is going to do. We'll talk about them presently and number one Georgia whooped on Florida in Jacksonville 34 to 7 Georgia Georgia I'm, I'm talking to you baby I'm talking to you we get it you're the number one team in college football all right ain't nobody saying otherwise right committee's got one chalked it's good Georgia left Florida three to zero with three 11 left to play in the first half and walked in the locker room with a 24-0 advantage. Like, what? I'm sorry? Dan Mullen and Florida haven't beaten a ranked opponent since November 7th, 2020. When they beat up, yup, Georgia. It means the Gators will go a calendar year without a win against a ranked opponent. And they don't have a ranked opponent left in 2021. But the question I'm asking here is, is this another year where two SEC teams make the playoff? It could be, is the answer. Because we all think that Alabama's great. Now, with Auburn knocking off Ole Miss, they're very much number two in the SEC West division. I don't expect Alabama to lose the Iron Bowl, but I never expect Alabama to lose the Iron Bowl. That is to say, if Alabama can win the Iron Bowl, and if Alabama can beat Georgia, we're getting two teams in the college football playoff from the SEC. But those are the only two teams that we would be getting from the SEC, right? The reason that you can think about it this way is the way that we set up divisions, you can't have two teams from the same division make the playoff. It's just impossible. This is a Big Ten East problem as much as it's an SEC West problem. But I was thinking all week and really the last two weeks that Florida was going to show up and give Georgia a game. I was actually talking about the show with producer Cat, like, I don't know, man. Georgia got some studs. I don't know, man. Georgia be putting up seven yards per play. Yes, I had them ranked 23 to start because, well, I studied them. And then I forgot what I studied. Because she's like, RJ, you watch Georgia. I watch Georgia. 
Ain't nobody scoring on Georgia. And I'm like, you know, the offense is tilted. Like, football tilted toward the offense. The defense only takes one crack to make a big play. And Georgia said, nothing on his judge smells. You'll have nothing and like it. They gave up seven points to Florida. This team is absurd, all right? Another thing that's absurd. There's only one 9-0 team in college football. Talk about them right now. Number four, Oklahoma defeated Texas Tech 52-21 in Norman. Look, I have it on good authority that Oklahoma fans wouldn't mind every team OU plays choosing to dismiss their head coach the week they play the Sooners. Feels like it's going to be a win for Oklahoma. Caleb Williams, though, became the first true freshman in school history. With five TD passes in a game, he was pulled after tossing his sixth. The last two of those, I'm quite certain, was Lincoln Riley pointing the finger at the CFP committee like, we good now? Are we good? Do you understand how good we are? Anyway, Caleb Williams finished 23 of 30 for 402 pass yards. And in the loopiest form of what this college football season has been, Spencer Rattler came in in mop-up time to relieve him. A dude that is 15-2 as a starter, started out the season as a Heisman Trophy candidate, and I thought was going to be the first quarterback off the board. It's not the number one pick in the 2022 draft. Now everybody wants to talk about where is he transferring. Oklahoma, though, has never lost in the month of November with Lincoln Riley as its head coach. And the Sooners are 9-0 to start November. Put another way, there's only one 9-0 team. Look, and while I can't relate to being anything other than 9-0 or the absolute poverty of having lost a Big 12 game in this soon-to-be G5 conference, I am realistic about December. You know, comes after November. Oklahoma scored 52 points today. It's a lot. It's a lot. Georgia has allowed 53 all season. Now, if that's the one in four matchup, I got to tell you, I'm just, gotta, that's the one in four matchup. It's exactly what I want. No, that's what I want. You want to be the man. You got to beat the man. Light him up. We owe you, Georgia. We owe you. Those were angry tears in 2017. We was up 17 in the second. Jake Fromm didn't want none of this. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not the kind of Oklahoma fan or any fan who's dodging anybody. I can't imagine being a fan of Oklahoma and wanting to duck the number one team in the country. Nah, man. Would I love to meet him in a championship game? Sure, but that means that Oklahoma won a college football playoff game, so that's fun too. But what I'm telling you is that anybody who claims to be an OU fan, who doesn't want no part of Georgia, who didn't want no part of LSU, who didn't want no part of Alabama, who didn't want no part of Clemson, don't really want it. Okay? I am a fighter. I get that not everybody's built that way. But that's how I'm built. I show up to win. And the reason that I do my rankings the way I do my rankings is because I'm 5'5", five, five, a buck 30, and I'm stepping. No, man. This is what the sport is about. That's what the scoreboard says. Look, light them up. The theory of competition says just because they're the strong doesn't mean they can't get their butts kicked. Or have we learned nothing 
from this college football season. You remember Major League? Hmm, the movie? Charlie Sheen and all that? When Ricky Vaughn told Jake he wanted Parkman? Same energy, man. Same energy. I'll walk him and load the bases for Parkman. What are you, nuts? I want Parkman. And what'd Jake say? Aye, Rick. Go get him. Saying it out loud. Oklahoma, talk your stuff. Run your table. Get into that game. Show people what's up. I'm from Oklahoma, baby. Show them what's up. Well, what am I wearing this hat for? You gonna waste this shot? Don't do that. Ugh. All right, Miami. They knock off number 17, Pitt, 38-34. Pitt was 61, falls to 62. Miami knocked off AP-ranked number, AP-ranked North Carolina State last week. And this week, knocks off AP-ranked Pitt. Miami goes 4-4. Four four. Pitt not only drops to 6-2, they also dropped a game to Miami. Okay, fine, whatever. But also a game to Money in the Bag's own Western Michigan. Okay? All over the place. Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke opened the game 6-for-6 six six for a 176. He ended the first half with 267. The Hurricanes led Pitt 31-17 at half despite Kenny Pickett passing for 307 yards in the half, too. Matter of fact, these two teams combined for 665 yards in the first half. That's gaudy. Then Pitt got a three and out, you know, to open the second half, took the ball, and needed just five plays to make it a one-score game. The Panther defense bent but didn't break on the next drive and got the ball back for an offense that it earned six on the next drive to make the game 31 up before Miami found an answer to take the lead again and would hold on to it despite Pickett throwing for a school record 519 yards. Van Dyke, though, finished 32 of 42 for 428 with three tutties in what is the best performance of his life and might be enough to keep Manny Diaz in Miami for 2022. Now, for Pitt, that means that the Coastal Division is wide open with Pitt's first loss in conference play. They sit, or excuse me, they sit atop the division with a 3-1 and record, and Virginia, well, they're just a game behind at 4-2. and The Coastal Division winner looks like it's on a collision course with Wake Forest in the ACC title game. Pitt hosts Virginia on November 20th after games against Duke and North Carolina next month. But question here is, <clears throat> really twofold. Is Wake Forest the ACC's last chance? Get that in a second. But what I really want to express right now is why the eye test is garbage and why you should never think about recent history when evaluating the team. The example that I love to point to this season is Clemson. We're giving Clemson a lot of credit, even as they ain't been that good. And something is broken in DJ Uwe Ungalale, and I don't know what it is, though I would love to know. It's probably a variety of things, quite honestly. But that dude went from looking like a surefire number one pick in the 2023 draft to being a dude that looks a lot more like Jamarcus Russell after he got to Oakland. It's just not a good look right now. But Pitt beat Clemson, and they got ranked off that win against Clemson. Georgia beat Clemson, and we've been talking about how great Georgia is from the jump. Now, they haven't played Alabama yet. 
I don't think that they played a really great opponent yet. But Clemson, we all thought was pretty good. And they have been defensively. Offensively, they are a trash fire. But I don't think we should be talking about teams that beat up on Clemson any, anymore, at least this season. Because the reason that I think this is important, Cincinnati's very much in this position. They're AP number two, not because they've been great this year, though they have, but because they played Georgia close last year. Okay? I want to evaluate the teams as they played this year and give everybody the same clean slate. But the teams that have tradition that have national championships, believe they should have some sort of built-in advantage. And I don't. Number 13, Wake Forest, improves to 8-0. They smack Duke 45-7. Wake Forest is the only Power 5 team in the history of the sport to never be ranked inside the top 10 since the polling began in 1936. The highest Wake has ever been ranked is number 11, and that was 1947, World War II. And the last time they were 7-0 was 1944. In Wake's eighth game that season, the Deeks lost to Duke. But not today, Satan. The Demons got one back against him. I guess it's going to be me and like 12 Wake Forest grads yelling at the CFP committee to rank the Deeks number four in the country. It won't happen. Yes, I know. But injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Or whatever. Look, Wake Forest is the ACC's last remaining contender for a college football playoff spot, which is wild to say. And I am confident in saying this now. This season is even more wild than 2007, which is, I think, why we're having so much fun. All right? Anybody can be beat this year, and anybody being beat this year means maybe we should look at a 16-team playoff. You know, I'm just, I'm just spit, I'm spitballing here. Maybe one of you want to get everybody in that should be in as opposed to talking about who the four best teams are based on what your blind eye has to say. Speaking of your blind eye, number seven, Oregon, defeated Colorado 52-29, which ain't no big thing unless you're Texas A&M and you barely hung on to beat them in the first place. Oregon... Scored on every possession in the first half, led 31-14 at half, and put up 344 yards of offense in the half. The Ducks had barbecue buffalo for 568 total yards by the end of the game. But why this is important is the win keeps the pressure on Ohio State and the CFP committee because it is right there in their own blessed protocol. One of the criteria for ranking these teams is head-to-head. Because head-to-head is so rare, especially out of conference, you have to include it in your analysis. So if I see on Tuesday that you have Ohio State ranked ahead of Oregon, we are going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. It's not going to be all right. Because what you have told me is winning doesn't matter. And I'm from a place where winning is the only thing that matters. They always say, by a little bit or a lot, winning's winning. Unless you play college football, apparently. Or you play at Ohio State, as opposed to playing at Oregon, who beat a fair and square without the number one player in the sport named Kayvon Thibodeau. How much more sense can I make here? Look, number two, Cincy beat Tulane 31-12 in New Orleans. 
This game was blacked out drunk at kickoff, and I loved it. It included a safety, back-to-back INTs on back-to-back plays, first by Tulane, then by Cincy. Cincy led just 14-12 at halftime. Midway through the third quarter, Tulane had just 45 pass yards and as many penalties as completed passes. Four. Cincinnati, of course, eventually pulled away, but how the Bearcats started is going into the CFP committee's thinking. On top of, this is the second poor outing since he has shown us in as many weeks. And that's, you know, really what we're talking about. Because ESPN reported this early in the week. The committee's job is to pick the four best teams. It's stated in their protocol, right? Along with head-to-head, strength schedule, those sorts of things. Sometimes there is a conversation in the room If these two teams played today, who would win? This is how I know you're going to give an undefeated G5 like Cincinnati the shaft. Just push them right down the elevator. Look, man. I'm not a Cincinnati grad. I'm not a Cincinnati fan any more than I'm an Oregon grad or an Oregon fan. I am totally realistic about how Oklahoma has looked all season long. I also know... You and I do not play football. Those kids play football. I know the suits and the Gaylord Texan putting together their list like I put together my list doesn't really factor into it. What does is what are the kids doing? And if you're saying, who do you think would win? I thought Ohio State was going to beat Oregon by three touchdowns. Is that what happened? Negative, sir. That is not what happened. I thought Florida was going to give Georgia a game today. Is that what happened? I said, no, sir. As Wake Forest said, not today, Satan. I thought Wake Forest would not be the last undefeated team standing in the Atlantic Coastal Conference. And yet and still, they are 8-0 for the first time in their school history, banging on the door of an AP top 10 ranking for the first time in their history, and you're going to give them the shaft because they're not Clemson. Look, man, I got to, I really, I'm, I'm being, I'm being very, very honest and open with you about all of this. I know my rankings don't go along with what your thinking is, and I get that. What I don't get is how people can say with a straight face that they don't like football by telling me the scoreboard doesn't matter. Yes, UTSA is going to be ranked ahead of Alabama tomorrow in my rankings. Why? Because being undefeated matters more than anything else. It is too hard in this sport to win every game you play for us to treat it like it doesn't actually matter. And if that team is undefeated, put them in a 16-team playoff where you think Alabama might beat them as opposed to saying straight up and down, we don't think that UTSA is good enough to beat Alabama. So we're telling those kids in San Antonio, you're not good enough. We don't care that you did everything we ask you to do to earn this right, not a privilege, the right to play for the national championship. We are elitist in our thinking. We have formed an oligarchy. We're going to keep you out because we said so. I don't live there. 
I work for a living. Work very hard to really think at this stuff. I'm constantly on the phone trying to make sure I know what I know. And even I make mistakes because that's what human beings do. But I refuse to be quiet while I see the kids giving it every single day of this offseason so they can get to a moment like right here, right now, be undefeated, and you tell them they ain't no good. No, sir. No, sir. That's somebody else's kid. I hope one day it ain't yours. Finally, we have an announcement. The Tuesday show is going to begin immediately following the CFP ranking show. So I'm probably going to be hot, and you won't want to miss that because everybody likes it when I get hot, apparently. So be on the lookout for us to be right here, live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, with you after we find out just how the selection committee feels about your team. And just remember, deep in the human unconscious is a pervasive need for a logical universe that makes sense. That's a lie that Frank Herbert wrote in Dune having no regard for how irrationally college football chooses a national champion. All right, that's our show for tonight. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. I appreciate the encouragement on the Twitters. Our producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Niles Owen is on the live stream switches. And our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. That is it for me. Doses. <laughs>